Hey everyone, this is Kim and Mark Holinsky. Thank you for joining us. Welcome to United, a Holinsky's Hope powered podcast focusing on student athletes. We really wish we could be in a room with our student athletes talking about their mental health and how important it is to their happiness and performance in their sport. Since we can't do that right now with COVID-19, we are keeping true to our mission, working to raise awareness and ending the stigma attached to mental illness. And so we're embarking on a way we can still bring you our message of hope and support, a podcast dedicated to student athletes and their mental wellness. We've teamed up with some incredible mental health experts across the country and are honored to have Dr. Josie Nicholson, sports psychologist at Ole Miss, host these podcasts for us. Dr. Nicholson will be using her passion for student-athlete mental health as a foundation driving the conversations that will be featured in these United podcasts. Please follow Holinsky's Hope on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and you can contact us via email at info at holinskyshope.org. Always for Tyler. And forever to three. To United Conversations for Student Athletes. As always, I'm your host, Dr. Josie Nicholson. You know, we are heading into the fall semester, uh, and typically this is a time of excitement, and everybody's wondering what the season is going to be like and what school is going to be like, and, and excited to see each other again and train together. And right now, that vibe just isn't there. We have athletes that are sitting in a space of uncertainty that for many of them, they probably have never faced before. You know, many are looking at their season got canceled. Uh, For others, they're wondering, is my season going to get canceled? And for others that don't play fall sports, they're wondering what's in the future and what is my training going to look like? Well, one of the things that um, I truly believe is, is that When we're faced with uncertainty, knowing who we are beyond our sport helps us get through it because we know those personal reserves and those um, those things within us that we can draw on and um, and exercise our identity through. So today we have a guest, and uh, he has created a psychological framework uh, that really speaks to this. This is Dr. Michael Gervais. He is Um, a very well-known high-performance psychologist, and he's worked in the field for over 20 years with many of our nation's top performers. He works a lot with the Seattle Seahawks, uh, many Olympians, MVPs from just about every sport, uh, internationally acclaimed music artists and corporate leaders. He hosts the um, the podcast Finding Mastery, which is a great podcast that uh, really delves into kind of conversations around the psychology. Um, and, and he has some of the most extraordinary thinkers and doers on that podcast. Uh, so that's a great one to check out. He also has a company called Compete to Create that he founded with um, NFL coach Pete Carroll. It's an online live and masterclass for the mind. and They have also together released an Audible original that talks in depth about many of the things we're going to be talking about today. It's called Compete to Create. Uh, So you can find that on 
Audible. So I'm excited to get going with today's conversation with Dr. Michael Gervais. Mike, welcome to United. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. Well, thanks for coming on. I I appreciate your time for sure. I love your draw. (laughs) (laughs) You're not hiding that draw in this conversation, are you? Uh, Absolutely not. I don't think I have a choice. So (laughs) (laughs) I'm not honestly, for sure. That's the authenticity for sure. So Mm. yeah, well, I am so excited um, to have a conversation with you today because one of the things that um, I really believe in is that knowing who you are and what you value um, really elevates your performance to an elite place. So I'm just interested to hear you talk about that, honestly. Cool. I mean, I I couldn't agree more. And I don't know if that's the right way to say it, but I love what you just said. And um, the idea is, uh, there's so many ways we could take that comment, but the idea is that who you are matters. And um, I'm going to stand on some tables to say, you know, who you are matters more than what you do. And that can get confusing for some folks. I'd like to take a little bit of time to to walk you through my position on it, but is that okay? Absolutely. Yeah. So this idea, I think that many of us have swallowed this uh, lure, this hook, if you will, is that we need to do more to be more. Mm. We need to do the extraordinary to be extraordinary. And um, it's so easy to adopt that way of thinking because that's what the Insta highlight reels of the world are showing us, the, the doing of extraordinary. And what's happening on the world stage for some of the best in the world is that they are flipping that model or have flipped that model. And they've said, yeah, okay, that got me somewhere. And it was really scratchy on the way to that place. And they're changing that model to say, no, I need to be more and then let the doing flow flow from that place. And what does that be more? It's be more grounded, more present, more authentic, more creative. You know, I, I need to be myself more often across any condition potentially. And then the doing, which is the hopeful refinement of skill, will flow from that place. And it becomes much more stable. It co- becomes much more dynamic. It becomes much more freeing. And herein lies kind of the double click underneath of this, if you will. There's only three things as humans we can train. We can train our craft, we can train our body, and we can train our mind. And when you do condition and train your mind and organize your inner life in particular ways, the external world is um, its much easier to navigate. And so getting the position and the ordering correct is uh, one of the advances, I think, that our beautiful science of psychology is helping us um, as humans, you know, to flourish more readily. And so this idea that we need to be more and let the flowing, the doing flow from there, I think is a foundational pivot for many of us. For sure. I think that it's so hard for athletes, particularly the athletes that I work with that, you know, between the ages of 18 and 22 collegiate, um, because they have been what they do for so long. And the measure of that has been the outcome. Oh, and this is the complication of being highly skilled at a young age. Because right. at a young age, as, as you well know, is that what we're trying to do is we're trying to sort out who are, you know, who am I, mm-hmm. right? The classic developmental conundrum between the ages of 14 and 20 something. 
who am I? And that's not like it's, <laughs> it stops at the age of 20, but it's really about identity formation. Yeah. And if you're really good at something at a young age and your teachers talk about that tournament that you've got coming up or that last game that you did or whatever, and your coaches and your parents and your uncles and aunts and the kids in the neighborhood and even media right, are talking about the thing that you do, it is so easy to foreclose on all the other potential options. And so for some people, because of their natural talent and the buzz that they get from being good at it and the attention that comes with it, that is, you know, full of dopamine and good stuff there that, that we say, okay, I'm rock and roll. Eh, you know, the country is interesting, but no, 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 I'm rock and roll. And they haven't even tried punk. They haven't even tried R&B, you know, they haven't tried blues and they're just straight down the lane of rock and roll. And what ends up happening for people as we mix these metaphors in this conversation is that they end up feeling, and this is my journey early in life, is that it felt as if when I went and did that thing, that my whole identity was at stake. Hmm. And it was that threat. You know, there was a threat to my entire identity. Uh, it's, it, it, it's too much. You know, it's, it's really too hard to go through life that way. And so that's one of the traps, potential traps of the early talent is identity foreclosure. And um, we live in a highly objectified, performative, doing-based world, especially in high-performing sport, where it is about output. And it's wonderful if you're a good person, but this is an output game. And if you can't have the right high-quality consistency of output, then there ends up not being a place, often more often than not, in that community for you. And so, yes, output is real and it's mandatory and it is a prerequisite to get in, but then freedom is your option. And freedom, it doesn't come for all that are extraordinary, or I would say even most. And I'm reminded right now of a, can I share a story with you? Absolutely. Please. Yeah. There was an, uh, I did a bunch of work early days in the UFC and I was able to corner fights even, which championship fights, which was like, oh. it's, a, it's an absolutely, um, it's an amazing arena. And so uh, one of the champions I was working with shared this with me. When his when the belt is being put around his waist and his arm is being hoisted, one Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi, that's what he gets of joy and happiness. Before his arm comes down, four Mississippi, five Mississippi, on the way down, he says, oh, God, I got to do this again. Mm. So there's no freedom in that. The podium doesn't provide freedom. Freedom. You have to earn the podium and you have to earn freedom. And that is one of the beautiful additives to our science. And you know what? Because it's invisible, it sometimes gets a little wonky and complicated to try to explain. But psychology really is about when we strip it down, and this is me going to try to oversimplify beautiful science here, is that it comes down to some self-discovery stuff. Mm -hmm. It comes down to skills development. So if you kind of make it simple, okay, is it self-discovery work and or is it skill work? The skill work is sets and reps, just like we do physical training, sets and reps. Same we can do for confidence and being calm and being focused and optimism. It's sets and reps. The self-discovery stuff is like, who am I? How do I work? How do I explain who I am? And how do I pivot and adjust to things that don't go according to plan? Right, All of that deep psychological, intimate 
truth of who you really are is only at your disposal. Nobody can give it to you. And there are, I feel like I'm just running a little fast here on you, Josie, but there's three ways that I know how to, to help kind of move that along with people. Mindfulness, conversations with wise men and women. Sometimes that's a psychologist, sometimes not, right? But like wise men and women, and then writing. So that discovery process, those three um, processes, I mean, it's, it, that's where the gold is. You know, it's not the gold dust. The gold dust is like getting on top of a podium or experiencing your very best, you know, when you didn't know if you had it. Um, but the real gold is knowing who you are. Absolutely. That's a hundred percent. You know, it's interesting. So, you know, to, to kind of rewind a little bit and, and recap, I guess, like once a kid shows potential, people tend to stop looking at who they are and emphasize who they can be. So it's like, you've got so much potential and you could have done better and, you know, you're not living up to your potential. And um, those messages aren't balanced with you are enough and you are awesome. And, you know, who you are is really important. So, you know, it's yeah, you're right on something really important because there is a healthy conversation that we we have to we we have to have this conversation for so many of us. Right. Which is you matter for who you are, to your point, because you breathe. And if you want to go into the performative environments, there are standards. And that standard is a performance standard, not a being standard. So being and doing are different. And when you get them to work together, it's pretty freeing. But there are performance standards. And that standard is either uh, self-derived based on uh, glimpses of potential. I'd love to talk more about that. And then the other piece is uh, the standards of what's happening uh, across that particular community. You know, there's a, somebody that in, in, in the NFL, there's a 53rd man on a roster. Mm-hmm. There's only 53 people on the team, right? That, you know, so there's a 53rd man. And so either you're 53rd or if you're 54th, you're not on the team because you didn't kind of have the right stuff. All that being said, there's a being and a doing. And being does not need performative aspects, but doing does have that. And not everybody needs to be in that high demand, high execute space but the word potential can cut both ways. It can be this beautiful, aspirational, high regard, Rogerian approach. You know, Carl Rogers' uh, approach to to human and humanity is an unconditional positive regard for others, a curious um, adventure to uncover, reveal, and understand that inner dimension that is beautiful and amazing. And when it's done that way, it's awesome. But when it's done to your point, which is like, um, you're not living to your potential. Oh my God. <laughs> so does that mean I'm no good? Or does that mean my standards for performance are substandard and decoupling those two for a young athlete? I mean, that, that, that's taken me a lifetime. So um, I think that that's, that's the work you and I are probably so passionate about is that there's, we as humans are multidimensional, multifaceted, and we're so much more than what we do. Yeah. And at the same time, we're in an environment where you have to do really well consistently to stay in that environment. Typically, it's really difficult to achieve a really high level of performing when you come from a place of fear. And 
you know, I, I think when you are worried that, you know, failure is going to speak to who you are, um, rather than just what you did in that moment, then that's when that fear comes up. I think that my experience has been, it'll get you good. Yeah. Anxiety, even unhealthy anxiety will likely get you to work a bit harder. And if you're fortunate enough to be around skilled people, coaches, and otherwise, um, from a craft perspective, and you've got this unsettled internal scratchiness that you're not enough, or that you're afraid something could go wrong, it, it, it'll unfortunately get you good. But the distance from good to freedom, the good, the distance from good to artistic, mm-hmm. from good to excellence, you know, like that thin slice for many people in the elite phases of sport, that very thin world is, um, it feels like almost Herculean to get across because the methods that got you there were uh, scratchy, you know, internally scratchy. And to let go of that, eh, you know, it's a really tricky thing to do to say the thing that got me here is not going to maybe get me there. But that's, that's, that is that the core my understanding at the core of this internal revolution that needs to take place to explore the upper reaches of potential as as opposed to it being a burden. And, um, you know, I can't tell you how important community is in this, uh, in this adventure and how important if you don't have that right kind of tonal community vibe that you have to cultivate it on your own. And that's probably why people are attracted to, you know, this podcast and, you know, the books and the readings that you recommend because they, they're hungry and thirsty for that, um, that internal structure to help go far and long into the, to the game of potential. Man, that phrase you used, um, the internal revolution, that really feels like it sums it up. Cause it's a huge thing to go your whole life. You're chasing achievement. You're chasing the win you're chasing these things that'll let you know that you as a person are okay and you are valuable and worthy um, because, you know, what is important to you is being on this team. And if you can't um, perform, then you're not going to be accepted. And that means that you're not acceptable. Um, and, And so restructuring that and letting go and saying, you know, I can be vulnerable. I can take risks because at the core I'm okay. And when I, and not successful that that doesn't mean that I am not a success right but that is yeah 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. I like it that's I'm right, right there with you and you know like I I think part of the work too is um is is double clicking like okay like well actually let me let me pause here before I double click is that to be like extraordinary as a human requires courage mm. courage you know as the as the operational idea that doing something when it's hard to do something when it's scary to do it right and there's a nobility in that doing so to be an extraordinary person does require courage internal investigations sometimes require courage and when i sit down and write or i sit with my uh my mentor has been with me for oh my god like 30 years and he uh, we just sit down and he looks at me <laughs> it's like, oh God, he saw me again. And so like doing that work is like, you know, and it's, it's amazing. And yeah. what's up, Gary? I, I just want to say, thank you, Gary. You know, you made a massive difference in my life. And so doing that work or taking risks on the field to play, whatever, that, that, that courage requires vulnerability. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, that thing is hard, yeah. you know, and it's so freeing. 
that's the thing. It's like, it's the great adventure. Do I have what it takes to say the thing I really feel? Do I have what it takes to really trust my swing? You know, um, when I know all the consequences, you know, athletes are smart. And you know, here's the other thing about being an athlete. They are better practiced at vulnerability than so many people. And some people are not familiar with your world. They would say, well, what do you mean? Like, I don't, athletes, I don't think they're vulnerable. Well, every time they go onto the pitch, whatever it is for them, they don't know the outcome. Mm-hmm. And so that means you got to kind of chip in and be vulnerable and give it a good go. Take some shots, take some risks, get on the edge. And when that happens, that is a, a capacity building experience of vulnerability risk taking. And um, especially when people are watching, it's one of the great fears, I think, for human um, for humans one of the great constrictors of this talent that we have within us is um, FOPO, yeah. fear of people's opinion. And it is so big and so pervasive that so many of us would prefer to play it safe and small to be included and liked and to be substandard to the, um, the gifts that we possess, whether those are um, of, on canvas, whether those are on the pitch or whether those are in words. You know, in your Audible original um, Compete to Create, you talked about, um, I tweeted it out the other day, honestly, it it was, uh, do you want to look good or do you want to get better? Basically. Yeah. I mean, yeah, that's the idea. Like, what are you really, what are you working on? Right. (laughs) Because it's ugly to get better. It it is so messy. And I would even say like, that's part of the fun though. You know, Mm -hmm. like the, you know, there's this uptick, a big uptick in the last, let's call it eight years in, um tough mutter type Spartan races, you know, the ultra endurance type of thing. And when you go into those cultures, if you come out clean, eh, there's not a whole celebration. But when you come out with mud all in the places that you would never imagine they're supposed to be and and you're exhausted, that community celebrates because they know you went somewhere. Yeah. I grew up, one of the sports I played growing up, Josie, was uh, um, skateboarding. So I, I grew up in action sports. Yeah. And there's a thing in skateboarding. Did you skateboard by any chance? Uh, I would not say that I did. I've been on a skateboard. Uh, that's <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so there's there's a um, there's a total off access, you know, punk approach to skateboarding that really has a um, it's a really cool street vibe about you know that counterculture. That being said, what I want to get to is that. If you're doing, uh, if there's a bunch of people and we're skating a ramp or some sort of corner that is, you know, got some risk to it and you try and you fall and you leave some skin on the asphalt and you try and you fall and there's more blood and, you know, you're, you're getting dinged up that whether you make the next attempt or not, but people have seen you leave some skin on the asphalt people. And it's this really cool moment that, that your little tribe there will turn over their skateboards and start clanking it on the ground or on the, on the wood or on the concrete, you know, and they'll start clanking it. Like we see you going for it because they know what counterculture is about. They know the value of like getting after it in a true way and testing yourself on the edge. And whether you make it or not, that's not the first kind of thing. The first thing is like the tapping and that tapping is like, we see you, not what you do, but we see you inside going for it. And we recognize that scary place and we love you for it. And that's amazing. And then, and then when you stomp it, and there's like people are throwing their boards and hooting and hollering, like there's a jeering that like that, that celebration. I mean, I want people in my corner like that. I want to be 
that man in other people's corners, to see them going and straining and striving and risking and being vulnerable and having the courage to stand for something, whether that is their, their internal stuff they're working out or it's something that is for humanity. And my understanding has been when you sort some stuff out in yourself and you know how to go for it and be true and honest with yourself, that you get to the next place in your evolution, which is to do the same for others. Here's what I want. Next time I'm giving a big presentation and I lose my place or I say something and I'm like, where did that come from? I want to hear a bunch of skateboards like tapping the sidewalk. <laughs> yeah, right. Well, well, you know, get ahead of it. Maybe pass out the skateboards and say, yeah. hey, listen, I, I, hey, listen, I'm going to get on the edge. I don't exactly know what I'm going to say. And um, man, we're going to create something together today. And I'll tell you what, when I make my mistakes, you know, start tapping, but don't do it too early because you're going to screw me up. Right. <laughs> yeah. Man, I have left some skin on those, uh, behind those podiums, you know? <laughs> oh, have you, is that, is that a tough thing for you? What, 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 what do you, what do you get afraid of? What do you get afraid of? Jamie? Well, I, I, so, um, imperfection, of course, uh, I did a Ted talk. So that was my, my big challenge to myself. Cause I wanted to feel that fear that I hadn't felt in a long time of, you know, fear, of, fear of, of, fear judgment, of, um, you know, people being like, Oh, that wasn't great. Or she really doesn't know what she's talking about. You know, that imposter. The, the, yeah. Right. The, the, the imposter, the, yeah. the people's opinions, yeah. you know, that, that FOPO thing right there. Sure. I love it because it's so, um, it's so true. You know, this idea that what people think of us feels so, um, overwhelming that it will trigger the same ner- sur- uh, neural circuitry in our brain as if a f- real threat was taking place, like a real dangerous environment, yeah. like the saber tooth, so to speak. And so it's amazing. Like, you yeah. know, and then that's where, that's where we like, it, are we about it or not? That's where we test yeah. ourselves. So in those moments is where you find out if you've just been BSing yourself. Mm-hmm, for sure. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's, it's funny because in the, in that moment, I was able to kind of step back and actually enjoy the sounds warped, but like the adrenaline rush, you know, and the, the fact that I was the one in the arena, you know, um, and, and being able to challenge myself and recognize those fears and distance myself from it. Does that make sense? Oh yeah. Um, well, yeah. I mean, the idea is to anytime we get on the edge of something, our brain lights up in a really amazing way, yeah. and it's a very thin slice between panic and ideal activation. Mm-hmm. And you know, there, there, it's not like a cliff that falls off, but there is, there is a precipice. You know, if we follow that catastrophe cusp model or cusp catastrophe model, that it, sometimes it feels just like a precipice, like oh, there it went. <laughs> There's no coming back. You know, and um, the truth is, like, as you know, from a biological standpoint, is that when we get um, adrenaline and some cortisol mixed into our system, it takes time to clear it. Mm-hmm. So a deep breath while your heart is thumping and it went from, you know, uh, let's call it 75 to 160 in less than two seconds. Yeah. That That is a very internal agitated state. And a couple breaths is going to do it for you there. Right. It'll maybe dampen it a little bit, but you're still going to be rattle. You're going to have that internal rattle. And I'm not talking about from a psychological standpoint. Um, I'm just, I'm talking about from a physiological standpoint. And then what you do with that, when you feel that, do you go, I love this, 
Yeah. Let's roll with it. Let's see what I got to manage this. Or do you say, uh oh, they're going to find out. Oh, here we go again. Yep. You know, damn it. You know, so that type of um, uh, interpretation and reframe is part of the inner work. Yeah. I, when I first started um, at Ole Miss, at, you know, close to a decade ago, I was working with um, the, the rifle team shooter. And uh, at first I was really trying to help them, you know, manage their physiology, you know, lower their heart rate, lower, you know, all that. And um, <clears throat> I walked with, And then someone leans over to you and says, <laughs> yeah, it's not working. Uh, this, this ain't working. Is right? yeah, exactly. so good. I know. And I just yeah. realized like, you've got to be able to shoot through the shakes, you know? So that started to be like, you know, that's the courage when you feel the fear and you do it anyway. And you learn, you're so good at your craft that you can shoot through those shakes, you know? That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. So it's not, and you know what? Part of that is knowing that you have what it takes and you'll figure it out. And if it doesn't go exactly right, you're, you know, let's say you get kicked off the team. I don't even know what that means, but like, you know, that you'll figure that out too. Yeah. Yeah. And, but I I don't know that. So athletes at the collegiate level and professional level, like the athletes that we work with, they have been at the top of their game and then, you know, they get to the next level and they start over. So they forget that they had to climb that ladder the first time. And so it becomes like this comparison. I'm not as good as that person who's been here for four years, you know? And um, so when you talk about these things, what are some of the practical things that you um, do that you help athletes, you know, to kind of get to this place where they're letting go and to pursue their, uh, who they are? Okay. So, this is what we're, this folds back into what we we're talking about earlier. It's like the model that got you somewhere mm-hmm. m- might not get you to the place you want to get to, you know. And so that letting go piece. There's the well. Let's just pause on that for a minute because if if you got good by comparing yourself to others, then at some point when you get into the you know the tighter circle of performance excellence, like that's going to be scary, <laughs> you know. Or maybe it keeps fooling you. I don't or uh, fueling you. I don't know. Everyone's got a little different take on it, but. If that's the thing that is now creating constriction, choking, if you will, then let's go in and get after it. You know, is there a better model? Is there an upgrade? And um, so some of the practical things, like let's start with self-discovery. So what what is your personal philosophy? What do you stand for? You know, what are the guiding principles that line up your thoughts, words, and actions? And the first time I was challenged to, to kind of get my stuff down on paper, it was for my dad. I wrote my philosophy for my dad and it wasn't, okay. You might say, well, what's so wrong? What's so bad about that? It just wasn't for me. Mm. It was still for the approval of somebody. And, you know, my dad, you know, our parents have a very important place in our, in our lives. So when I read it out loud, I thought, oh, it ain't real. Mm. And so I had to go back to the shed until I could look at something and my heart would skip a little bit. My hair would stand up on edge a little bit and say, that's real. Can I say that out loud? And then when you get to that place, these are the core principles that are going to guide my thoughts, words, and actions. And you share those, that, whether it's a word, a sentence, or a phrase, or whatever it is for you, we like to think about getting it under, definitely under 25 words or less, Mm -hmm. but maybe even under, you know, 
10 words, eight words, you know, so that you could get it out under duress and be about it. And so anyways, you got to call it down to some sort of thing that is absolutely fundamentally real. And when you share it with others and they do the same, now there's this cool little vibe that you've got with each other to see what you're really about. And this is like, a, if you think about a marriage, what an awesome, you know, way to kind of go through life together. And then if you think about teammates, it's a massive accelerant in the same way. And so it's one of the practices that we do um, up at the Seattle Seahawks is with coaches um, every year, we re-examine our personal philosophy and share it with each other. And for new coaches, you know, it's often like, whoa, okay, is this right. where we're going? Yeah. You know, and it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then uh, they roll that out to the athletes. Yeah. And they're, they're and kind of now like, we've, no, this was going to be about the group hug, right? Yeah, right. And you know what? Um, if it stays like just surface like that, yeah. eh, I mean, it's probably better than nothing, but it's um, there's a miss to it. But yeah. that's why culture is so important. For sure. You know, and the way that Coach Carol and I think about the Seahawks and um, what, I mean, it's a, there's hundreds of men and women in the organization that are trying to sort this thing out. But the way that we've been talking about the organization is that really it's, it's, he is the custodian of culture, but it is a relationship based approach. Mm-hmm. And so that when I say custodian, meaning kind of the first person to, to organize the principles and then, then everybody becomes the custodian of relationships, right. you know, which in return, a culture, the artifact of culture is the relationship that you have with each other and yourself ultimately. And then hopefully with, um, extend that out to mother nature if we do, if we're doing it right. Right. So. But you got to have everybody in it or it's not a relationship that, you know, it forms the circle. Right. But you know, some of the- there are, there are people though, Josie, that don't buy in. Right. Of course. You know, and, and then that's okay though. It gives us a chance to practice the relationship with people that are not fully committed or not quite seeing it or see it differently. So that does give us a way, um, to keep deepening the conversations. Cause if everybody saw the, the thing thought the same and did the same, Oh boy. Boring. You know, it'd be a little boring, right? We'd lack a little bit of that fire and spice and hardening that only comes from, you know, iron on iron. Yeah. You know, that, I mean, you need that conflict, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, a couple of the practical things that I've heard you talk about that, that I've actually, um, you know, kind of encouraged uh, some teams to do actually is uh you know, when you're doing this to look at what kind of quotes are you drawn to? Who are the people that you admire and what do they stand for? And then, you know, what words are you drawn to and kind of fill up pages and pages and like, see what, what themes jump out. That's probably not exactly. Is it? No, you're on it. Like, what are those? I, you know, yes. Like, what are the ideas that, that stick with you that, capture you that are like, oh, that's awesome. And you start writing that stuff down. And um, you could, you could do this exercise. Like I did this, this type of exercise. This is in, I'm not sharing something that's not public. So uh, the CEO of Microsoft, Satya Nadella, uh, we did this work with his senior leadership team. And so you imagine Microsoft, they've got 180,000 employees and their mission for their company is to help every person and organization on the planet. And that's, it's a bold, it's ambitious and it's big and it's beautiful and they take it seriously. And we get to this place about developing the philosophy and we're spending, I think we 
you know, this was a, this was a full eight hour day and Satya, this, again, this is all in his book. So I'm not sharing something that's out of turn here. And he pauses at this point in the day and he looks to his, his teammates and he says, Hey, um, we've all signed up to do something pretty beautiful and amazing and hard. And we need to know each other. And he turns back and he's like, Mike, if this takes um, the rest of the afternoon, no problems. Like, let's, let's really do this work. And I think that, you know, so you can get it, you can chip away at this thing in a couple hours. And it, you can also chip away at it for a couple weeks, couple months. Like, it's just got to be real. <laughs> That's it. And you're the only one that can actually have the true litmus test, whether it's real or not. So start with the words and the phrases and the songs and the poems and the vibes and the whatever, whatever, the little phrases that you're attracted to and get those down and organize them and sift through it, cross it out, circle stuff, highlight, you know, go back around and, and you're going to find some themes that will emerge from there. Right. And if you, if you really did the work, um, you might find that it's probably pretty common to other people, <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know, like all the 11 world religions kind of hum around the same thing. You know, some of the most extraordinary political leaders on the planet and activists, they kind of hum around the same thing, you know? So I'm not, I don't want to give away any answers because you got to find yours. Right. And that's, that's, the, that's the, that's the path. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, anyways. Well, and when you, and again, just it's redundant, but when you know that and you, you, you know where you're going, if this, you know, thing that you're engaged in doesn't work out, you know? You know that you can handle it and you know what you're going to draw on, what your you know value is. And, uh, and so those are, yeah, I see those. Yeah. I see those actually in three ways mm-hmm. and I'm not, I'm nodding my head to everything. I'm saying a personal philosophy are the guiding principles that guide what your thoughts, your words, and your actions. When you have those three things lined up, you're onto something. That's a very powerful human, right? Now it's one way to be a powerful human when we're having a glass of wine. And your thoughts, words, and actions are lined up to your principles. Great. But then can you be about it when, you know, it's in a more rugged environment? And so to get from A to B requires mental skills. And that's why that skill building stuff, like knowing the mechanical way to have the skill of confidence. Mm -hmm. Confidence is a skill. And so investing in that, you know, it's like a, it's like the Panama Canal, this interlocking system where it really only works well when all the systems and parts are uh, thoughtful and designed and operating at a high level. So that's the way I think about psychology and performance as the, you know, the Panama canal um, for, for performance there. And so, so that being said, what you were talking about is personal philosophy. I also heard you talk about your values. Mm -hmm. So principles and values are different. Right. And I think it's really important to, to know that, you know, what are the, like, if we think about Confucius, right? Like, and you, he's got five virtues, five values that were, that guided his entire uh, approach to life, his philosophy of life. Jesus, same thing. Uh, Muhammad, same thing. You know, uh, Buddhism, same thing. Mother Teresa, <laughs> Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., uh, Malcolm X, you know, fill in the blanks, Eleanor Roosevelt. Like, so there's virtues and there's principles and those become bumpers, on as you navigate the micro choices of what are your thoughts, what are your words, and what are your actions. And so to do that well, we need to um, map that up against potential, vision, Mm -hmm. 
Mm-hmm. What when you use your imagination, what 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 do you imagine to be possible? Let's just have some fun. What do you imagine to be possible when you use your imagination? Let's let's get some shape around that. And then we we circle around the wagons and say, right, make a declarative statement. What's your freaking purpose? Hmm. And you know what? That all of that. <laughs> as I'm saying it, I know it can almost feel overwhelming, but that is the intellectual work to do. It's first intellectual. And you do that work by writing mindfulness and or conversations with wise men and women. And you, when you get that kind of internal framework in a way that sings to you, it's, it's awesome. And here's the thing. Nobody can ever take it away from you. That now is radical. That is the internal revolution. And this world that we're in right now is calling for a revolution. When you do that internal work and you have a mechanism to guide your thoughts, words, and actions, and you have the mental skills to be about it when it's hard. And when those two things come into place, we tend to see this transformational experience where you're no longer trying to just put your life vest on and get yours and get to the top of the podium, but you're working to create a rising tide for those in your community. And that is how we can use the insights and practices in this beautiful science of performative-based psychology to help create a rising tide for humanity. It is inside of us and it's lying dormant. And most of us have not examined our inner life in a meaningful way. And we're left at the whip's end of what people think of us, where we stand on a podium to determine our worth, determine our value. And so much so that there's a thing that we've labeled called performance anxiety. You know what? That's kind of bullshit. You know what performance anxiety is? It's a mechanism for relief because I'm just trying to get it over. I'm just trying, gosh, if we just get this thing over and I can just get some evidence that, you know, I'm good enough. And if I just can get through this first couple rounds and I'm okay, holy shit. Like that, does that sound right? That doesn't sound right. That performance anxiety is the mechanism that is looking for relief that I'm okay if I do okay. So there are ways when you're with the right, you know, sophisticated people in our field and the wise men and women of the world to say, wait a minute, let's do a deep dive. Not patchwork with like, let's do some breathing work. And by the way, breathing work is one of the the most accelerated, sophisticated skills I use, but let's not patch it up with like, hey, breathe and be calm. Yeah, good. You're good? Good. (laughs) It's so much more dynamic. Right. Yeah. Sorry, did I get wild? Did I get wild on on, on you here? Uh, you no, know, I, I feel I, I feel animated. <laughs> That's yeah. awesome. Welcome yeah. to United. That's uh, yeah. You know, I bring that out in people. How's that? But yeah, uh, good, yeah. good. Thank you for the space. Yeah. Well, yeah. No, I think that's awesome, and I, I think it's such a um, you know, it's almost like uh, I don't know if I want to say analogy or or whatever, where you know we have this um, you know call of nature that is is saying what do you stand for and what are you about what are your um what are your principles what are your values that's gonna guide you and you know that's the um that's what competition does you know Mm -hmm. it it calls on you to know yourself and and that's you know i my my little uh, definition of mental toughness is knowing who you are in those situations that challenge you. So, Oh, very cool. Yeah. yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Cool. So, so yeah, I think it's in John Wooden um, talked about like when you play and you perform um, out of failure, like you're, you're afraid to fail, then 
<laughs> when you win or you do well, the most you can hope to experience is relief. Yeah, I know. And that, it's, it's awful. <laughs> you, you might get the win, but then you get relief. <laughs> it's fun. Uh-huh. I know. I know. I mean, whatever sport you're playing is like the most beautiful thing in the world, you know? And uh, so, and so many are missing it. Yeah. Well, yeah. because we, well, we've trained a lot on craft. We train a lot on body and train very little on mind. Right. And so, um, you know, there's an opportunity. There's a there's a beautiful playing field ahead of us for uh, the next version of humanity, and it's gonna it's gonna be the revolution's gonna come from psychology. You yeah. know, we, we get a we're gonna hopefully get a break with some medicine. Yeah. You know, um, and uh, but there's a lot of work for us to do. Me, me I, I'm putting myself in it. Oh, a yeah. lot of work for me to do. Yep. For sure. Well, um, so I have a question for you. What was it like to be on the other side? I will say my experience has been um, that you created space for me to kind of go to some places of things that I love to talk about and think about. And I appreciate the space that you you help provide for uh, this conversation. Cool. I know you're used to interviewing people. And, uh, yeah, and I, I love it. It's fun. Yeah. Yeah, it is a lot of fun. Um, thank you so much for your time and your insight. And, and uh, I know I um, pulled a lot out of your um, Audible original compete to create because I just think it's such a valuable resource. So thank you to you and, and Pete Carroll for putting that together too. Oh, cool. Thank you for picking it up. That means a lot to me. So I, I want to say thank you. And, um, you know, if there's any service I can be to your community, um, just let me know. Well, thanks. And, uh, you know, hopefully we can have you back on United. This has been a lot of fun. Let's go. All right. Again, a big thank you to Dr. Michael Gervais as well as our producer, Graham Doty. Listen, if you're struggling at this time, please reach out to a licensed mental health professional in your area. We also want to hear from you about topics that you want to hear about here on United. Please reach out to us at info at Let us know what would be helpful for you and your fellow athletes to hear about. Share this podcast with anyone you believe would be helped by it. Subscribe to it, rate it, and review it because it helps other athletes find the podcast. If you'd like to know more about Holinsky's Hope, including how to donate to help with all that they're doing to support student-athlete mental health and reduce the stigma that surrounds mental illness, please visit www.holinskyshope.org. Please take care of yourself. Please take care of others. And always have hope. (laughs) 